Because this has implications for our lives, not just for this season, but eternally, forever. And so this morning as we look at this, I'm going to do something a little different in the sense that our main idea is actually another passage of Scripture. And so I'm going to put it up here. And this, this main idea comes from Proverbs and fits really well this morning. And it's from Proverbs 19.21. And it simply says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, have you ever formulated... Well, I, I'm going to gauge this first. How many of you in here are planners? Stick your hands up. Don't be ashamed. I'm having my hand up here. That's me, okay? And how many of you guys are go with the flow, however it swings? I'm just going to kind of go. Come on, don't be ashamed of it. There we go. Okay. All right. Now... This, this message, I'm going to be honest, this message is going to be most challenging for those of you who are planners. Okay? But, just because some of you like to go with the flow, does not mean you are exempt from these things. <laughs> In fact, what we're going to find is, a lot of what struggles here, that we're going to identify are rooted in our human nature as a whole. Okay? But have you ever formulated a plan so many times in your mind that it is set in stone for you? I do this way too often. Have you noticed that when you do that, we often shut out anything else that is said as it relates to that plan? Then if the plans change suddenly, you find yourself wondering what to do or how to deal with it. How do I cope with this? Now, again, some of you understand this better because you're planners. Now, unfortunately, I have a really good illustration about this for my own life that I'm not proud of. Okay? And it was actually on my birthday a couple years ago. And we were still out west. We were in Oregon. And it was a normal work day because when you're an adult, kids, when you're an adult, birthdays aren't nearly as exciting. Okay? And so I was at work, and I had my whole to-do list for that day. And I categorized it, I would scheduled it, I put in my calendar what hours I was going to be focusing on what. This is where all of you who go with the flow go, my goodness, that's too much work. But, my, my sweet and lovely wife showed up in the middle of the day and said, Alright, drop everything, I'm going to take you to lunch, we're going to do something fun. It, no joke, took me five minutes Sitting at my desk, staring at my schedule, going, what do I do? And it wasn't because I didn't want to go with my wife, okay? Don't, don't misconstrue this. It was because in my mind, I had made such a plan that when a slight shift in that derailed everything I had planned, it threw my mind and everything else into chaos. Now, obviously, I rearranged the schedule, and we went, and my wife and I had a great conversation about how difficult that is for me to do, okay? And it was a, it was a, growing, it was a growing place for our marriage. It was really good. But more relating to this morning, I really want you to think about 
our tendency as humans to make a plan. And we're going to see in the life of Jesus' own disciples who walked with him, how they responded when things did not go according to how they planned it. And how that correlates to us as the church today. All right? So let's open in prayer, and then we're going to dive in. We're going to read a lot of Matthew chapter 26 this morning. So let's get excited and look forward to what God's going to teach us. Father, may you strip us of the mentality that our plan is the only way. And Father, I pray that you would help me in this as I struggle with this. And Father, each one of my brothers and sisters here today, that we would seek to grow in our trust and our confidence that's rooted in you. But more than that, that we would understand the depth of your sacrifice, we would understand your grace beyond what we do today, so that we might better be the church that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 1. And uh, we're going to read through a lot of this as the story unfolds. And this is leading up to Jesus' ultimately, ultimate crucifixion. But in verse 1 it says, When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. When the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now we're going to stop there a minute. I want to consider a couple things. And this morning I'm going to contrast, kind of compare and contrast the disciples and us. Now, the first thing I want you to recognize here and understand is the disciples did not understand the reality that Jesus was going to die. And this is seen in their response, okay? Now we have a couple instances here, specifically in verse 2, where he says, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Pretty plain, pretty clear. And then again, if you look over at verse 12, after he's anointed at Bethany, It says, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Now, this might seem plain to us, but the disciples were somewhat oblivious to this. And we see that kind of consistently throughout. So, um, we're going to look at a couple other instances where Jesus told his disciples about this upcoming crucifixion, about his impending death. Just to reinforce this idea that, hey, 
This wasn't the first time they were hearing this. This wasn't out of the blue, okay? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to do another thing that we don't usually do. I'm going to have you guys read scripture. So I've got three passages. So I'm going to need three of you to look up scripture. And now I'm going to bring a microphone to you and I want you to read this, okay? So first one is Matthew 16, 21 through 23. So someone look that up. The next one is Matthew 17, 22 through 23. And the third one is Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Okay? So, Matthew 16. Who has that? Someone have that passage? Someone have it? Right back here. Okay. Go ahead and read Matthew 16 for us. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, thank you. So, pretty evident example there. Hey, Jesus highlighting this. And you got to love Peter's response, where Peter's going... Whoa, 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 this can't happen to you, Jesus. Really, this, this can't happen to you. And Jesus' response is really strong, where he's going, Get behind me, Satan. This isn't furthering the purposes that I came to fulfill. You stating this isn't helping things. All right? There's one instance. All right, next one. Matthew 17. Who had that? Someone else had that. Who has that? Right here. Okay. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Okay. Another pretty evident example. All right. And they were filled with grief. Obviously, they understood what he said there. But filled with grief, there still was a struggle with this. Still a struggle with the reality of this being the case. Now, the last one, Matthew chapter 20. Who had that? Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll be con- they will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Okay. Once again, now, this should bring a reality check to us when we consider the fact that this wasn't the first time the disciples had heard this, okay? Everyone say it wasn't the first time. And the question we commonly ask in the midst midst of this is, how could they live in the presence of Jesus... To be told about what was going to happen, see everything that was taking place, and still not get it. How could that be? Well, now we turn the tables a little bit and look at us. We have a tendency to live as if Jesus' sacrifice has no impact on us. Now, the disciples... They, in all reality, 
They had a plan for what this was going to look like. And if you look throughout Scripture, it becomes pretty clear that they were pretty certain he was going to rule, that he was going to physically reign in their day and age, in that time frame. And so this idea of Jesus dying, God, that doesn't fit in my plan. You know what, church, for us in the same way, we have a tendency to live as if it doesn't matter in our own lives. It's nice to talk about or celebrate once a year, to think about those things at that time. But do we understand the depth of what this means for us? Do we grasp that Jesus' death and ultimately His resurrection is a game changer when it comes to the faith of the follower of Christ? Everyone say it's a game changer. Now, to emphasize that a little more, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Keep your finger in Matthew 26 because we're going to come back there. 1 Corinthians 15. And here, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing specifically to the church at Corinth, which this church was struggling. They were struggling to walk in light of what Christ had done for them. Struggling to live as a follower of Jesus. This was a, a struggle consistently for the church at Corinth. And in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Understand there that he's referring to the eternal resurrection from the grave. Okay, just to put it in context, theological framework here. Okay, these people were stating that there's no resurrection from the dead. Once you die, you're done. And Paul is saying... But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's a heavy passage. Now thankfully he doesn't stop there. And in the next section he goes on to say, but in fact Christ has been raised. But to understand the depth of this, that we don't end up at the resurrection of Christ without first his death. This is the concept the disciples weren't grappling with. That for Jesus to truly reign, for us to truly be freed, and to be able to walk in newness of life, there was no other way. Either we had to pay for the sinfulness of who we are, or someone who was sinless did. And we stop and we consider that, we recognize that, man, do I really live 
in my own life as a follower of Christ as if Jesus died for me? Do I live as one who has the hope of eternal life, not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus showed that there is no power over death apart from Him? That He could defeat even death. But there's a lack of understanding. So we face challenges that go against the grain of our plan, right? Or things don't work out the way we intended them to, and we complain or we become disoriented. Sometimes we even walk away from the very one who's promised to be in control. And he showed us he was in control through his death and ultimately his resurrection. Now that idea leads us into the next reality for the disciples. And that was that the disciples did not understand how they could ever betray Christ. How they could ever come to a place where they would betray or fall away from Him. Now look back, we're going to read um, in Matthew 26. And we're going to start back in verse 17. Where we pick up this narrative that's taking place. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? Is it I? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You've said it. You've said so. You've said that it was so. Now jump down to verse 30. After he administers uh, the Lord's Supper and communion, he goes on and says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. Imagine sitting as one of the disciples and hearing that from Jesus himself. You're all going to fall away. Because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock and of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him. Again, you've got to love the tenacity of Peter. He says, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Have you ever noticed, just a pause for a minute, have you ever noticed there's this pattern amongst the disciples that when one of them says something, the others follow suit? Well, not I, not I Jesus. Not, I won't do it. Yeah, what he said. Or when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, well, is it I? Well, that's a good question. It, is it me? Is it me? And then later on, it comes out, well, you're all going to fall away tonight. And Peter goes, no. And you can imagine the other disciples go, man, I should have said that. <laughs> it's interesting, though, how easily we follow suit in a pattern Set forth, not necessarily by Christ, but even by those around us. Posing the question, where is our plan fixed at? And who are we leaning on? Who are we pressing towards? Verse 36, it goes on. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Do you see the pattern, the tendency within the disciples to defend themselves? To say, not I, not me. They, they may fall away. They may pursue things that they shouldn't pursue. But Jesus, I'm committed. I'm Peter especially. Jesus, no way. And we know that back from verse 16 when he said, Jesus, far be this from you. They're not going to die. To the point that now he's even saying, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. Not, not me. I'm all in. Now we turn that and we look at us. We have a tendency to glorify ourselves before others and before God. No matter how that looks like, practically, any time... 
I see myself in light of who Christ is as worthy. As having earned my place. I am good. Or like the Pharisee who said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this person. This is everything I do. You're lucky to have someone like me on your team. Or we end up like Peter and we read scripture that challenges and says, hey, be weary. Be careful because you're prone to temptation. You're prone to fall into sin. And we go, no, not me. I've been a follower of Christ for 40 years. Not me. And we read scripture that says, be careful. Because you're human. Be careful in your workplace. Be careful in your relationship with your wife. Be careful with your children. Be careful. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. And how easily we say, yes, that's what we want to do. That's what we're striving for. As the church, this is what He's called us to. And we defend ourselves. So readily defend ourselves rather than saying, God, help me, help me, humble me, bring me to a place where I do not see myself as one who is worthy, but I see that you are. And I see the depth of what you're asking and what you're commanding and what you've called us to, and I'm going to follow after that. But we have a tendency to lack repentance, to lack confession, and to lack acknowledgement of our own sin or our tendency to sin. And Peter had spoken up like this previously. And I guarantee there are numerous other occasions that aren't recorded in Scripture because this was just Peter's personality. I am all in, Jesus. And I'm a firm believer that's why Jesus told Peter... On this rock I will build my church. Because he knew Peter had a tenacity. And God still used him. But Peter had some major weaknesses. Just like you and I. The third thing. We're going to pick this up in verse 47. But the reality that the disciples reacted in fear as reality unfolded. Verse 47 says, While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? 
But now then, should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now jump over with me to verse 69. It says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. She said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now what do we see as a response here? Everything starts to unfold. It's unraveling at a rapid pace. And as we've seen, it's not because they weren't informed that this was coming. But there was a lack of understanding as what was going to happen here, what's going to take place. And so they responded in violence. I'm going to draw my sword. I will defend you, Jesus. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Could not I call to my Father in heaven and have legions of angels to defend me? You you don't understand. They responded by scattering and hiding. And this wasn't the first time That we've seen this kind of reaction. We saw this in the nation of Israel. When they were at the doorway to the promised land. And God said, God commanded them to say, go, take it, it's yours. And they went in and scouted out and saw giants. And came back and said, no, no, no. We can't do that. Our tendency is to run and hide. Scatter. To disperse. And this has been the pattern. It's not a new cycle. But if we're like Peter in his weakness and say, Not me, God. I'm I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to disperse. We're setting ourselves up for failure. And then last of all, they denied knowing Christ because of fear of men. What are they going to do to me? Now, I'm humbled to know many people who work in areas and places where they are daily in the threat of men, and they are bold. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's something we struggle with here because this is comfortable. We're not fearful of the same things. You're not here under disguise. We're not huddled in a basement secretly. 
Because we have the freedom to gather here. Praise God for that freedom. But we take it for granted. And we lack understanding to the point that living sacrificially in the same way that Jesus died for us, we don't get that. And it hinders our growth to becoming more like Him, church. We have to step back and acknowledge and understand that Jesus sacrificed Himself for me. That means that sometimes things aren't going to go the way I plan and I need to sacrifice my own desires, my own self for His purposes. But we turn it to us and we react in fear and disbelief when things don't pan out the way we intended them to. Church, God never promises us that our plans will succeed. Rather, He promises that His purposes will. That's really important for us to grasp. And it goes back to that passage in Proverbs. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. It's the only thing we can take root in and stand firmly upon. Because everything else we plan of our own selves and of our own will and of our own power, it might succeed. It might be successful. But that's not promised. In fact, sometimes God's yearning, His longing is for you to become more like Him, to be drawn to Him, and so He vanquishes any of your plans so that you have one place to turn. And He strips you down to where you have nothing and goes, fix your eyes on me. Come on. Look at me. It's my purposes that are going to happen. And we know that. We read the book of Revelation. We know He wins. We know He's glorified. We know the purpose. And we strive with our eyes fixed to the promise of eternity through Christ. But everything that happens between now and then, we have to do it with an approach that says, I desire God's purposes above my plan. I desire His will above my own. Proverbs 3 reminds us of that. To trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will make your path straight. But I can tell you that the straightness of that path will not look like the straight path that you would create on your own. It's not going to look the same. And so two points of application this morning as we consider this. One, don't allow your plans to speak louder than God's purposes. Don't allow your plans to speak louder than God's purposes. Church, some of you are going through horrendous, difficult seasons. And it's being made even more difficult by the reality that it's not what you plan to happen. And God knows that. He knows full well that this was not my plan, God. What are you doing? But He also knows what's on the other side that you don't see. He also knows that there's a, a purpose 
for His glory that's happening in this. And you may never know this side of eternity what that purpose is. And we need to be okay with that. And that's not to say that we can't grieve. That's not to say that it doesn't hurt and it doesn't sting. It's not to say that we gloss over it and say, I'm great. Because that's not what God calls us to either. Rather, He calls us to acknowledge, God, this is not my plan. But I'm praying for your purpose, for your will, and for your glory. That was the whole plan in Jesus' death. And we're fortunate to have the whole story, to be able to read it. The disciples didn't have that. In the moment, it was just happening. And so they reacted and they respond. Some of you are going to face things this week that you aren't expecting. And your temptation is going to be to react. And I want you to root down and say, I'm not going to allow my plans to speak louder than God's purposes. Number two, don't assume that just because your plan isn't happening, that God's purposes aren't. And that goes right along with this, okay? Don't assume that just because my plan's not happening, that God has somehow failed to work. That's not the case. God is moving. He is working. Even amongst all the chaos around us in our culture, in the world, in our society, God still sits on the throne. And His purposes will become reality. I'm confident of that. I want us to be confident in that. Because when we root into that, all of a sudden everything else can be pushed to the side and we can pursue what he's called us to as the church. And so as we close today and we think about these things, there's a lot to think about here. And I'm gonna, we're going to leave these two application points up here for a minute. And I'm going to have the worship team come on up here. But before we sing this closing song, here's what we're going to do. Those of you who got our weekly email this last week were challenged... With a time of silence. And that can be hard to do. Trust me, I know we have three kids under six years old in my house, okay? Time of silence is difficult to find, okay? But sometimes when it comes to discerning between what I have planned and what God has purposed... What we lack is a time to just stop. A time where we're not listening to someone else talk. We're not thinking through or processing through everything I've got to get done or what's happening later on today or our schedule if you're a planner like myself. But just to stop. And so we're going to take two or three minutes. It's not much time. Okay? But you're going to find out how difficult this can be. Two to three minutes here, and I just want us to be silent. Okay? And I want you to think about these questions. And maybe as you're silent, God is, there's something that just keeps coming to your mind. Okay? And that is, it could be the Spirit, God's Spirit's way of saying, hey, you need to let this go. Or you need to take care of this. Or you need to trust me with this. Hand this over to me. Trust me with this. Allow my purposes to be your focus. Okay?
And so, we're going to start here. I just want us to be silent, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. And we're going to stand, we're going to close with this song, okay? So let's just, two to three minutes, that's all we're going to take of silence right now. Father, it's hard to just be silent before you. Lord, I pray that you would give us an understanding beyond just knowledge of what you did on our behalf. That we could truly find rest in you. Lord, that we could truly recognize that it's not our plans that you've promised to further, but it's your purposes. And God, as we consider that today, I pray that you would challenge us in those areas that make have come to mind during this brief time of silence, Lord, help us to not just set on that, but that we would take action. And Lord, help us to become more like Christ in a way that you are glorified and your purposes are fulfilled in our homes, in our individual lives, in your church, and in our community, Father. We trust you. 
with these things. We trust you with the unknowns of the future and even simply the unknowns of tomorrow. Lord, we leave them in your hands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.